You are listening to a Live City Church podcast, and we hope you'll experience Jesus today. We are excited to have you join our extended online church family. If you would like further information or wish to access more content, please connect with us on our Live City Church Facebook page or visit us at livecitychurch.com. You know, I started off kind of thinking that we all imitate you know, different people or different things. And, and I remember an article that I read quite a long time ago um, about someone that wanted to, his life dream was to imitate the daredevil, Evil Knievel. Um, so in that article, I'm just going to read a little bit for you because I kind of enjoyed it. It said, uh, wannabe daredevil, William Brotherton, 20, left with the offer of a free bungee jump from a hot air balloon over Grand Lake in Colorado. So just remember that before we move on. It is over water. It makes the story a little bit better. So he left at the offer of a free bungee jump from a hot air balloon over Grand Lake in Colorado. He made his leap from 190 feet on a rope 260 feet long. <laughs> a bungee association spokesman said the firm involved had committed very basic safety errors, probably. And that was my favourite part of the article, really. I wanted to just get to the bit at the end, probably. Like, they really didn't want to... They really didn't want to, uh, you know too harsh on anyone, but there's very basic safety errors probably. So I personally, I never wanted to imitate Evil Knievel. I wanted to be a daredevil. You know, I've never actually been anyone you know, into adrenaline sports. However, before I got married at my Bucks party, I got taken skydiving and um, then you know, jet boat riding down the Gold Coast. So I think my soon-to-be wife, Sasha, had this idea that I was into these adrenaline sports. So when we were on our honeymoon in Bali, she bought me as a present a bungee jump. Um, and I still remember going up this rickety elevator up the top of this tower and it was overlooking this pool on the beach. And we got up the top there and a couple of you know, locals wrapped this towel around my, um, around my ankles and then kind of pointed over the edge. And I kind of looked at them and said, what, you just put a towel on my ankles, you want me to jump over there? They just kind of pointed over the edge again, and I couldn't communicate anymore. They, you know, they only spoke Indonesian, you know, or they didn't want to answer me, one of those things. So I kind of looked at them again and said, it's just, it's just a towel, are you sure? And they just kept pointing over the edge, and I kind of started thinking, you know, someone's going to write about this, that you committed very basic safety errors probably. <laughs> um, and I did consider just taking the towel off and going down the elevator again, but I just thought it wouldn't look very good in front of my new wife. I thought, I'm here in my honeymoon I better at least like, try and look like a man. So I jumped off the edge with my eyes closed, obviously. I didn't want to know anything about it. Um, and I think it was enough to fool Sasha because yeah, she obviously didn't think that I completely hated it and didn't think that I yeah, thought I was going to die, which I did think I was going to die. Because <laughs> soon afterwards, when we got back to Australia, she bought me this voucher for a rally car driving experience, one of those red balloon rally car driving things. And again, I thought, what's the point of this? I'm going to get in this car, I'm going to be scared the whole time, I'm probably going to crash and die. Yeah, at least, best case scenario, I'm probably going to break my legs or get whiplash or something like that. I just hated the idea of it. But what, of course, I said was, oh, thank you for that. Yeah, that's great. I'm just going to put it here in my bedside table just for safekeeping for when we have a free weekend. And um, I'll definitely get that out and use it whenever we've got a free weekend. I knew on the on the uh, fine print of the voucher. It had a 12-month expiry. So I knew I just had to outlast <laughs> 12 months. 
So I kept counting down the 12 months for the voucher to expire. And then as soon as it did, I, I got it out of the, the bedside table one Saturday morning, very excited, and said, Sasha, we can go and do this rally car driving today. Oh. <laughs> hey, and look at this. Oh, it's expired just last weekend as well. Would you believe that? It's the last possible day we could have used it last week. That's just bad luck. Don't, don't bother buying me another one. Just, but, you know, thank you for that present. So I never wanted to imitate being a daredevil. That was someone else's dream. However... I did grow up wanting to imitate uh, AFL footballers. That was kind of yeah, my dream. Actually, I, I reached the stage of life this year, which I think is a, a new stage of life that you know, guys you either go through or you've probably gone through where you realise, you look at professional sportsmen, you realise, hang on, I'm older than most of them. And I think that's like a, a new stage of life. And so I said to Sasha this year, you know, I'm probably never going to play professionally in the AFL. And she said, why do you say that? She said, oh, I just think I'm too old now. She kind of said, yeah, and you're too short. <laughs> and you're too unfit. And you're not talented. Um, <laughs> um, and one of, the, uh, one of the other things we, we tend to imitate is fashion, I find. Um, and I was recently reminded of this of, of some fashion that I once tried to imitate. Um, well, recently on holidays down in New South Wales and my family have a property there and uh, we're staying on my family's property and we came across this photo, a family portrait that was taken probably when I was you know, late in high school. And I had a look at it and I was wearing this like grey knitted jumper and looked at it and thought, well, there's nothing technically wrong with it but I just wouldn't ever wear it now. I thought, what, what made me wear it at the time? And... Um, then I had a flashback and I remembered the reason I wore it and the look that I was going for. So I'd actually uh, brought it along the photo and, uh, to compare to... Uh... So that was, that was obviously me on the left there and I was going for the, the Tears for Fears look on the, the front of the Big Chair album. You know, and even now, I'm a little bit proud when I, I drive around the car with my you know, soon-to-be three-year-old son and one of his, fam- his favourite songs for us to sing together is shout, shout, let it all out. These are the things I can do without. Come on. And this, this is his favourite bit. I'm talking to you. Come on. Um, so when we put that in the song, he'll say, thank you. I actually think that um, one of the biggest compliments I've ever got for my sing is when I sing that song, he'll say to me, I know this. So obviously it's close enough to the original. But... Um, <laughs> And actually, that, that actually never happens. Obviously, we're listening to 96.5 or waiting to download Pastor Paul's podcast. But every now and then, um, the point is that we all strive to imitate different people. And then, you know, the Apostle Paul comes along and says, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. or follow my example just as I follow the example of Christ. And so just to unpack that, I wanted to think about, if we're going to think about what it means to imitate Paul and to imitate Jesus Christ, yeah, we need to look at the life of Paul and look at what he's like. And, and in the Bible, when we first see Paul, uh, he's called Saul. Um, and we come across this verse in, in Philippians where he talks about what he was like in those early days as Saul. So I'm just going to read that for you. It says, If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. So he's pretty happy with himself to start with. Circumcised on the eighth day, I mean, not your usual topic to brag about, but he does. 
of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, flawless. And actually, the first mention that we see of, of Saul, um, you know, he's a bystander watching as Stephen is getting stoned to death. So he had all the right upbringing, all the right training, all the right teaching, you know, and he'd seen around him how the world operates. So he was in this perfect position to follow after the pattern of the world perfectly. You know, in the, Saul, in the, the world that Saul was living in, he was a winner. You know, he was from the right background, doing everything right. And we can see from what he's writing that he really found his identity and in, in his accomplishments. Yeah, and he accomplished great things in that society. And, and we see that his identity was found in how right he was. And he was really right in the eyes of society. So he was, a, he was a winner in his world. He looked great. Saul would have been one of those people that would have had an amazing Instagram. Or his Facebook page would have like, looked amazing. I don't know if anyone else got this email from Facebook. Like a, I think I got it on New Year's Eve. I got this email, it might have just been me singled out for special congratulations, but I got this email from Facebook and it said, Mark, in 2017, you made seven new friends. What would 2018 bring? And I thought, that's a good question. That's, that's going to be hard to top. Um, but Saul, Saul would have been one of those people with 4,000 friends, um, you know, and he would have been getting hundreds of likes for every photo that he would have put up of, you know, him like buff and tanned, you know, on holidays somewhere. He would have always, you know, used the right sepia, you know, photo filter, whatever it was that they needed. He's always been on some beach with the sun setting. Do you notice that, that there's always these people that their Facebook, or according to their Facebook anyway, they're always on holidays. And I, I kind of look at it, and, and they're, not, they're at holidays in like beautiful, exotic places. They're not packing up the car and driving to Dubbo for their family holiday. <laughs> they're like on a beach somewhere. And I kind of think, like, where do they get the money for all that? Or you know, when do they clean their house? Who's, who's cleaned the toilet at their house? Their oven must be filthy. Like, but that stuff's never on Facebook. Yeah, Paul would have yeah, been one of those guys that's getting like 300 likes for his like, photo of his... You know, organic acai bowl in like the trendy hipster cafe he checked into. So he was really winning the imitation game. He was it in his world. Saul was so good at imitating the world that he even found people who disagreed with him to persecute. Because the ego needs enemies as well. It needs others to prop it up. It needs others to disagree with. Because when you find your identity in all your accomplishments and externals and how well you're doing imitating the world around you, then you need others to prop up your own sense of ego. So if you find your identity in being a winner, then you need a loser to compare yourself to. And, and that's what Saul found, these people following the way, you know, the Christians, the people following Jesus, following this new way that had come into his world. Yeah, they were people who found their identity and their worth in love and acceptance, and their freedom was a, th- a threat to Saul and to the society that Saul lived in. Yeah, their liberation, their freedom from playing this imitate-the-world game was terrifying to someone like Saul who was so embedded in the world system. So Saul's identity was so caught up in his worldly achievements that he was literally looking for people to yeah, persecute and imprison people that yeah, had a different view of the world to what he did. And then we get to the next part of Saul's story. So we're going to read from Acts chapter 9 and, and you're probably familiar with this part of the Bible. It's where we see Saul's um, conversion. So I'm just going to read for you Acts chapter 9, 
um, starting at the start there, verse 1 to 19. So it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if they found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptised. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. So Saul was a man who had it all worked out and he had a plan. Uh, He was going to the city to persecute people following the way, these Christians, and to do his good duty in the society. Then all of a sudden, we see him in this story, he's blind and being led helpless and waiting for who knows how long for something that he doesn't even know what's going on. He doesn't know if anything's coming. He's been stripped of everything that he previously relied on for his worth and his identity. It's all gone. It's all been taken away. And all that he's left with is a word from God. Yeah, he was winning the, ga- winning the game, but God wasn't playing that game. Yeah, and Saul could only become who God wanted him to be when he was willing to lose you know, all those other things that, that, that imitate the world game. You see, sometimes the emptiness in our life is actually where all the action is. Saul had it all by the world's standards, and now he has nothing except the presence of God. You know, he's left with nothing but the word that God gave him. And it just made me think, what would you be like if you were stripped of everything but the words God has given you? Would it be enough? Would it be enough for you while you waited for those words to become reality? Would you still have your value if you were stripped of all those things that give you value by the world's standards? And the things that, that Saul believed were earning him something, we find out were not. All the things that he really needed, though, were there with him all along. And it's the same with us. And you know, too, that, that when you get into that habit of playing that imitate-the-world game, that, that it's really an empty game. It's not really going to go anywhere, it's not really going to bring you satisfaction. 
but what you've been trying to achieve all that time by all those means you've been trying to achieve it, you've had that the whole time. You know, all your striving, your worrying, your working, your proving, your performing, all those things that you thought were earning you something were actually a dead end. And all the things that you're trying to achieve, you've had all the time. See, Jesus says you've been at the party the whole time. You've been a son or a daughter of God the whole time. You've been loved the whole time. And there's always this sense that we live with that we're not good enough, that we're not going to make it, whatever that might look like for you. But the Bible indicates that that's exactly where God, that God's meet, God meets us. That's where God met Saul. So maybe for you, it's, it's in that time when you, know, you trip and fall for that temptation yet again and you realize that you need something outside of yourself. Or you look around and you know, you're, you're a parent and you see other parents with you know, their, their kids all behaved and, and dressed nicely and you just find life a constant frustration. Or when you feel that you've tried everything for that healing or that relationship to be restored and you just feel as though it's never going to happen for you like it does for others. You know, it's often exactly when you're blind and hungry and thirsty that you're in a place to hear from God. What we know from the story of Saul is that in those times when all the things that you lean on are yanked away, that's all that God needs. And that's where God meets us. And he doesn't meet us with shame and condemnation, but he meets us with, nothing can separate you from my love. And we need to trust that. Yeah, and that's our motivation. And that's what moves us from playing the imitating the world game that can never really satisfy us to imitating the greatness of Paul and of Jesus. So later on, yeah, after his conversion, and, and we see Paul have his, uh, Saul have his name changed to Paul. Paul gives this great summary of his conversion in a couple of different places in his writings. Um, so one from Philippians 3 says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes, but that which is through faith in Christ. And in 1 Corinthians again, he says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Paul now is in this place where he just dismisses as worthless all those other things that he used to seek after and seek after for his achievements and his accomplishments. That game he was playing in imitating the world and now dismisses as useless. And his desire... Is just to know one thing, and that's the Christ, a king. But not just any king. He wants to know this king that was crucified. And a king that's crucified goes directly against imitating the world. Because a worldly king should be all about the fame and the fortune and the popularity and the power. But a king that voluntarily is killed you know, for the people goes directly against you know, all that expectation of what a worldly king should be. And what kind of king doesn't care about crowds or popularity or fame or fortune or fitting in? Yeah, that, that's our King Jesus. Paul just wanted to know this king and, and lay down everything, you know, lay down his life just as this king did. So the first century that Paul was living in was you know, incredibly hierarchical. So everybody knew where they were in the ranking compared to everyone else. So much like our society today, but in the first century world you had... Greeks and Romans and Jews, you had male and female, you had slave and free. There was these very strong class boundaries or lots of separations. And when Jesus' teaching started to catch on, when this new way of seeing the world based on, on love started to be taught, 
it often caught on amongst the lowly in society first. So it's often those that realise that the system of the world hasn't helped them um, that they find power in another kind of system. To those who are entrenched in the world system, Jesus' teaching seems like, you know, it seems like nonsense. It seems foolish. It seems like a king that would be killed, like Christ crucified. It doesn't make any sense. But when you realise that the world system doesn't bring the peace and fulfilment that it promises, then you're going to be in a place to recognise the power of a new way of living. So in 1 Corinthians, again, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. And isn't that just like the mystery of God, that he uses the weak things, the things that are not, that he uses the struggles, that he uses the events in our lives that look like complete train wrecks to teach us and shape us, to use even our biggest weaknesses to make us strong so that when we're weak, we're strong. You know, those moments that when you feel most lost or most unworthy, that's when God wants to remind you that it was never about being worthy in the first place. That's never how the game worked in the first place. So the first century world Paul lived in was, was dominated by these ideas of ranking, climbing, comparing, you're holding on, propping yourself up, pulling others down. And how much of our sense of worth or unworthiness do we give um, you know, ourself in comparison to others and in trying to win in the system of the world? So it's interesting to note that when Jesus chooses a person to illustrate you know, the kingdom of God, he doesn't choose a middle-aged businessman you know, striving to be successful in the world or he doesn't choose a, you know, a working mother you know, with all her kids at the right developmental ages or she doesn't, he doesn't choose a, a, uh, you know, a straight-A student, captain of the high school with the right look he chooses a little child, and he says the kingdom of God is like a child. So during these holidays, I've um, you know, spent a bit of time watching my son you know, just play, play the games that he plays, and, and I was watching him play this particular game that he'll do you know, over and over. Has anyone ever seen the movie The Lion King? So uh, a couple of months ago, I'd never seen the movie. Now, because it's my uh, son's new obsession, I've seen it about 52 times, and uh, so this is, this, is what, this is what I'll now sit on our couch in our living room and this is what I'll watch happen, you know, the whole way through the day. So I've got Uncle Scar here. Everyone knows Uncle Scar's the, the bad guy. And this is Mufasa. So that's Simba's dad. And uh, so he'll... Uncle, there's this scene in the movie where um, Uncle Scar is like on this cliff and Mufasa's hanging over the cliff and my son will be there playing with his toys and he'll go, no, Uncle Scar, no, Uncle Scar, help me. And then you hear Mufasa say, long live the king. Ah! <laughs> and then you get... And then you get... No, no, Daddy, no, no. You're, this, this is Simba, by the way, baby Simba. <laughs> no, Daddy, you okay, Daddy? So I watch these, these um, little games go on all day long. And I was kind of watching it, and God kind of just put in my spirit, you know, that's a picture of the kingdom of, kingdom of God. I had a you know, sense like that. that's what God is saying, that, that the kingdom of God is like a little child. You're not striving for approval from the world, but just content in God's approval, just content with who God made him. And it made me think that if you're not content with God, 
yeah, then are you really honoring him? And if you're not content with where you are, then can God really trust you with the next thing? See, there's this great benefit in just being content with God's approval. And often our contentment in him is our key for our breakthrough, our key to step into our next thing. You know, but how often do we pretend to be someone else just to fit in, rather than just being who God made us to be and who God wants us to be? So a number of years ago, um, you might not remember this, Pastor Paul, but I was on one of the Malaysia missions trip. Uh, Pastor Paul and the team were asked to do these um, workshops for local churches and about um, running, you know, helping our different areas. This particular one was in running uh, worship. So myself and another guy, we had zero musical ability. So we were kind of thinking, what are, what are we doing here? But um, Pastor Paul asked just to come along and, and be involved. So we were sitting in this workshop that Pastor Paul was running on singing. Um, and so myself and this other guy were sitting at the back. And uh, at one stage, Pastor Paul you know, got everyone to do one of these kind of singing exercises, like, la, 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 la. I don't know if it was one of those, but, you know, something like that. And um, then he kind of said, who found that difficult? So there's this room full of the Malaysian guys there, and they all keep their hands down, and there's these two white Aussie guys at the back. Yep, that was hard. Um, and you see kind of Pastor Paul scan the room. and says, who found that difficult? And he looks around. I'm going to ignore those two at the back. <laughs> keep going. But we kept going. Yeah, we were there supporting what was going on. A bit later, Pastor Paul asked everyone to do another kind of singing thing. And um, yeah, I'd been talking to these Malaysian guys I was sitting next to, and I think they, they'd assumed that because I was there at this singing workshop, workshop that I was kind of some great singer. And so they kind of looked at me and said, you must be a really good singer, right? And I kind of did this. Well, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, who's to say who's a good... I mean, it's all, it's all subjective, right, anyway. I mean, it's not all subjective. Some things are objective like that. But, you know, I never lie. Just keep that in mind. Again, though, that asked me, you know, when, when we had to do, like, an exercise, that asked me, oh, can you show us how it's done? You're probably a really good singer. And um, for obvious reasons, though, I couldn't sing for them. So I just kind of said, no, no. I'd, I'd better not, you know, this is, this is your time to practice. Like, um, like, you do it. But that wasn't enough. They'd, they'd ask me again, you know, oh, how about you do it? So I thought, they're not getting the idea here. I'm going to I'm gonna have to, like, step up my game a bit. So I'd, they'd say, oh, can you sing for us? Show us how to do it. And I kind of went, <coughs> <coughs> I better not. <coughs> um, <sighs> I even did one of these. No, no, I better not. <coughs> but they kept going. They were very, um, they were very persistent. I was kind of trying to make out, you know, the look I was going for was I had kind of some big gig that I had on that I had to save my voice for. So they, they kept going, though. You know, how about you sing for us? And I thought, they're not going to give up. I've got to, like, step up my game a bit here. So I went for this. I don't know why, but I, I thought this would, this would sell it. So I did my I did my coughing, <coughs> had my drink, and I did. Sorry. 
So I actually had to do it three times. I don't know why, but I really thought I needed to commit to it. Um, and at that stage, it seemed to work because they gave up. Um, I never lied, though. I never lied. But, um, but we can be like that. You know, we feel like we need to pretend to be something else, you know, just to please the world because we're not really satisfied just with God's approval. And often that's what hold us, holds us back. That's what holds us back from our next step. Jesus came, you know, to give you direct access to God. You know, don't waste it following after the world. Jesus didn't come so that you can strive after all the somebodies in the world. You're trying to get them to like you, trying to get them to tell you that you're somebody too. That was never Jesus' plan. Yeah, he's not interested in that. He said that you're his sheep. You're made to follow him. And he's not interested in all the somebodies and, and what they're doing in the world you know, and how they look or how successful they might be. He's interested in you. And he just wants you to follow him and to follow Paul's example. But we can't do that when all we do is fix our eyes on the world's standards. And we can't depend on God if the whole time we're wanting to be independent. So just as I finish up today, I'll just um, ask the musicians back up to the stage. And I just uh, kind of feel like people striving for name and recognition in this world may get it, but that's not how it works in the kingdom of God. The people that really make a difference for God's kingdom are the people that are imitating Jesus and Paul, not the world. And I think of someone like Mother Teresa. You know, you look at a photo of her and you don't see someone winning by the world's standards. You know, she's old, she's wrinkly, she's short. You know, she's, she's no Kardashian. You know, it's not Mother Kardashian. But um, she was never bought by the world's standards. She had heard God's word over her life, and that was all that mattered to her. That was enough. She had this deep sense of who she was because she knew God's word over her life. And I was reading the other day about um, these studies into how you know, the United States is being run as this oligarchy. So basically it means that there's this very rich um, and powerful businessmen or companies that, that are kind of buying their way into having a say in how the country's governed. You know, and apparently it's been going on for years. And, and I couldn't help think of Mother Teresa because here are these ultra-successful rich businessmen striving with all their vast resources to be powerful. And then there's this little old wrinkly... Yeah, Mother Kardashian Teresa, who in 1994 was invited to speak to the to then U.S. President Bill Clinton and yeah, the First Lady Hillary Clinton and the, the Vice President Al Gore, all these people of power, and they invited her along um, to speak at their national prayer breakfast. And what did she do? She gets up and admonishes them for their stance on abortion. And apparently she was told before that that meeting that she can speak about anything but abortion, which they um, you know, widely supported at the time. But she got up and she stood on this little stepladder thing. You can still see it on YouTube. You know, she can barely see over the, the microphone. Not much to look at, but she got up and she you know, admonished the president and all these people of power for their stance on abortion. And they just had to sit there and listen. You see, she could speak truth to power because she wasn't bought by the world system. She wasn't trying to get anywhere. She wasn't trying to find a platform. She was just speaking the truth. So when I was looking at this statement that Paul made, imitate me as I imitate Jesus, maybe the most obvious thing about that statement is, the, is that he invites people to imitate him. He wants others to imitate him and he expects it. So if we're going to follow after Paul and after Jesus, 
we should be people that can call others to imitate us as well. You know, it's a high calling, but we need to be someone that's worthy of being imitated. It's the desire that God put in all of us to look for someone to imitate, the desire that God put in all of us to be someone worthy of imitation never ends with us. You, know, you never know who's looking at you as someone to imitate. You never know who is going to be affected by your life in Jesus. And you never know how far the influence of your life is going to go. There's this story from the 1980s about two neighbours. And they were separated by this fence. On one side of the fence was an elderly widow. And on the other side of the fence is lived there a young girl. So late in life, after the loss of her husband, um, the widow developed this passion for flowers. And she'd, she'd make um, you know, these great gardens in her backyard. And one day she planted a rare vine at the base of the fence that separated the two neighbours. So she planted it, watered it, cultivated it, really looked after it, trying to make it grow. And it grew vigorously, but it never bloomed. She never saw those flowers that she was looking for from it. She tried everything to get it to bloom, but it never did. You know, she felt as though her efforts in growing that vine were a failure. So one morning as she stood out there looking at the vine, disappointed, she heard calling over from the other side of the fence this little girl. And she was saying, you can't imagine how much I love the flowers and the vine that you've planted. I come out here every morning just to look at them. You see, the widow on the other side of the fence you know, couldn't see the mass of flowers that were blooming on the other, you know, across the little girl's side of the fence because the vine had crept through the gaps in the fence and it bloomed on the other side. Turns out the little girl on this side was so inspired by looking at those flowers every day that she became a passionate gardener as well and eventually it led to her co-founding this small flower show under a single tent for the enjoyment of the people of Chelsea in London, which is where she lived. However, over years, this flower show grew to become the Chelsea Flower Show, which, is, which today is, is the largest and most prestigious flower show in the world and it's broken all kinds of records for attendances and generated millions of dollars and is visited by royals and celebrities every year. So you never know how far your influence is going to go. How far will your imitation of Paul and of Jesus, how far will it go? Like that elderly widow, she thought she was failing, but God had plans in her apparent failure. He had plans that should make an impact that went you know, much larger than herself. You know, often on Sundays I'm in you know, these rooms next door in the kids' church and they just become very aware that right next to us there are these two rooms full of kids that are just looking for someone to imitate. You know, and out, outside, out these doors, is a whole suburb or a whole city of people that are looking for someone to imitate. And God's put it on us to be the people uh, that they should look to to imitate and to be the ones to make a difference. And you never know how far... Yeah, your imitation of Paul, your imitation of Jesus will go in imitating others. So I'm going to just get you, you know, standing up and, and your eyes closed. We're just going to finish off just by praying this morning. And I just urge you this morning to make a decision to be an imitator of Jesus. To make a decision to be like those heroes in the Bible that failed so many times, that messed up so many times, that lacked in so many areas yet they didn't sit around feeling sorry for themselves. They focused on what they could do through Jesus, and they did it. And they became examples for millions of people over thousands of years. 
you know, God believes that you can do greater things than he did. Yeah, he said that. And he's just waiting for you to buy in on the fact that you don't need to be an individual. You don't need to be an imitator of the world. You just need to be an imitator of him. So let's just pray together. Father, we just confess this morning the areas of our life that we've wanted to be an imitator of the world, not of you. And we just confess that we've imitated the world and just repeated history in ways that have been destructive in our lives and not lived up to our true calling. Father, this morning, please forgive us and change us and restore to us the life and joy and blessing that comes from being an imitator of you. Amen. Thank you for joining Life City Church, and we hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. If this ministry has made an impact on your life, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line and share your story at thanks at livecitychurch.com or email us your prayer needs at prayer at livecitychurch.com. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your story. If you love the ministry of Live City Church, you can make a financial gift to help us spread the good news of Jesus by going to livecitychurch.com and clicking the giving tab. We hope today's message has spoken into your life and look forward to your next visit.